I will be reading from Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with Orion honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Mackenzie. Got my lollipop, just in case I need it. Well, good morning, TCC. My name is uh, Pastor Adam. I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Worship here at uh, Twilliger Community Church. It's a privilege to be a part of this congregation and to uh, have a place of leadership here. Um, We're currently in a mini-series exploring different questions that emerge in the Psalms. And last week, Pastor Norb started us off by looking at Psalm 139, the question, where can I go from your presence? And this morning, we'll be looking at Psalm chapter 8, with the question, who is man that you're mindful of him? Who is man that you're mindful of him? Each psalm within the psalm book, 150 of them, you could probably place each one into a category. We have songs of praise, praise, worship, you know, this adoration towards God. We have psalms of lament, which is um, like a, a psalm of sorrow, it's like Psalm 13, where it's asking, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? We have psalms that talk about wars. We have psalms that talk about kings. We have a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, which were psalms that were sung as the as Israelites made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They'd sing these psalms. Psalm chapter 8, we could categorize as being a psalm of orientation. A psalm of orientation. Psalms of orientation give us a picture of life that is not troubled, that's not threatened, but rather it paints a picture for us of a well-ordered world. A world that is as it is meant to be intended by God. Psalms of orientation provide for us a picture of a no-surprise world. Consequently, a world with no fear. The Psalms themselves do not report on an event happening or an intrusion happening. Rather, they describe how things are and indeed how things always are. These types of Psalms offer us incredibly important perspective. Psalm 8 specifically, as we'll see, describes God as one who is seated high in the heavens. It describes a God who is in control. A God who's created the universe. And a God who loves us so, so deeply. That is an incredibly, incredibly important perspective. Perspective is an important thing. I came across a a funny story this past week of, of identical twins... And these two identical twins were alike in every single way except for one. 
One was hope-filled and an optim- one was a hope-filled optimist who only ever saw the bright side of life. The other was a dark side pessimist who only ever saw the downside in every single situation. The parents of these twins were so worried about their extremes of optimism and pessimism that they took them to the doctor. And the doctor suggested to them a plan. He said, on their next birthday, give the pessimist a shiny new bike, but give the optimist a pile of manure. Uh, the parents thought this was a little extreme, but feeling a little desperate, they decided to take the doctor's advice. So when the twins' birthday came around, they gave the pessimist the most expensive, top-of-the-line bike that he could have. When he saw the bike, his first words were, I'll probably crash and break my leg. Still a pessimist. To the optimist, they gave a carefully wrapped box of manure. He opened it, looked around really puzzled for a moment, but then jumps up and says, you can't fool me. With this much manure, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. (laughs) These two boys had very different perspectives on life. And I wish I could get in the head of the optimist to see what's actually going on in his head. I think I'd have something that I could learn from him. But whatever his perspective was, it affected his attitude his emotions, his behaviors. Perspective is important. How often I find my perspective of life challenged. You know, when I read the Psalms, when I read the Bible, I read about this God who's in control. I read about this God who's, who's sitting on the throne, a God who loves me. All of that is expressed in Psalm 8. But then going through life, I run into situations and circumstances where I'm challenged. Maybe it's a a diagnosis that I didn't expect. Maybe it's receiving a bill that's just that too, too much more than I can carry. Maybe it's facing disappointments at a lost opportunity. And suddenly my perspective of looking at all these situations in light of a God who's on the throne, in control, who loves me deeply, I start finding myself doubting, feeling depressed, Any optimism that was maybe in my heart is slowly, slowly fading away. And it's not that these emotions or these thoughts, these responses to these situations are inherently bad. In fact, it's really good for us to feel those emotions. And we'll be exploring that as we go through this series. Rather, it's it's when I completely lose sight of who God is in the midst of difficult situations. That's the problem. The problem is when I come to a place where I feel like I've lost hope. Maybe you can relate to that. Struggling to maintain a perspective that is guided by God's word in the midst of difficult situations. How quickly we can lose sight of our Father in heaven. So, how do we maintain a perspective of God being in control? How do we maintain a perspective that's guided and directed by God's word as we navigate through life. Well, friends, I think that Psalm 8 invites us to keep perspective by having a sense of wonder. Psalm 8 invites us to maintain perspective in life, maintain a biblical, God-oriented perspective by maintaining a sense of wonder. And that's exactly where this psalm begins. 
And I believe that we should be filled with wonder as we consider who God is. We should be filled with wonder as we consider who God is. David starts off this psalm, O Lord, our Lord. David here is addressing God by his proper name. And whenever we see Lord in all capitals, um, it it's not, necess- it's not saying Lord in the sense of the second Lord that we're reading here. Rather, this is a place where our translation from the Hebrew to the English is, it's, it's not very sufficient. We're kind of losing something here. Because when we're translating this Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, um, it's actually referring to the proper name of God. The name that God gave to Moses on the mountain. When Moses came to him and he said, Who should I say sent me? And God replies, Tell them that I am sent you. God gave himself this name to Moses. The I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. This is where we get, from this we get the name of God, which is Yahweh. Sometimes we sing songs on Sunday morning that that use this name. But whenever you're reading in your Bibles and you get to the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, um, that's Yahweh. That's what's going on in the Hebrew. And what I love about this name Yahweh, the I am, is it speaks of a God who is who he is, no matter what I think about him, no matter what I feel about him, no matter what the world tells me about him, no matter what the world feels about him, he is who he is. He is unchanging, he is unshakable. He remains seated high in heaven in control. He's ruling and reigning there. And nothing can change that. He is who he is. And that's where David starts. Yahweh, our Lord. He goes on. How majestic is your name in all the earth. When we look around the earth, the greatness of God and the fact that he is worthy of our attention is so, so evident, is it not? You know, how many of us have been to the mountains? I've been to the mountains several times, and I, when I was living in Calgary, I had the privilege of running into Canmore for supper. We'd drive to Canmore and enjoy a meal, drive back home. Can you imagine? It was pretty lovely. But I love driving. You know, you're driving through the foothills, and you, you, you kind of, you finally pull into the mountains, and you look out the windows of your vehicle, and man, you're filled with wonder. The, the beauty, it's breathtaking. And, and we need only look at creation to see the majesty of God. We need only look at creation to see God's grace, God's greatness. And it fills us with wonder. The Bible teaches us that what we see around us is not here by accident. That what we see around us has been, has been crafted by God very specifically with care. That he set into motion this process so that the world came into being. It's the work of his hands. It's an expression of God's power. An expression of God's ability. David is pointing us to the reality that all of creation speaks of God's majesty. And that should fill us with wonder. It should fill us with wonder. David goes on, You have set your glory above the heavens. Creation reveals God's glory. In this case, specifically, David is looking up 
at the stars. I shouldn't have looked up. I just blinded myself with the stage light. David looks up and he sees the stars. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. David's filled with wonder. Here, David is pointing out to us that glory is actually something that we can see. David, uh, glory is something that David saw in this case. He looked up and he saw the glory of God in the stars. Glory, that word, is something which describes that which is here, that which is close. It describes something that we can look at, we see evidence for it. We can see glory, we can touch it, we can weigh it. The word glory actually means weighty. It has substance. The glory of God is witnessed in story and in history. Anywhere where we see the work of God, we see the glory of God. God is glorious. And that should fill us with wonder. David goes on to this interesting part of the psalm. He says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Here David is pointing out to us that God has enemies. People are coming against him. People are speaking lies about God, trying to, sh- to shame him, trying to say that he's not who he says he is. It sounds like David's culture wasn't all that different from ours today. <laughs> but what's so interesting is, is how might we expect God to deal with his enemies? We might think that, that God might rally an army. We might think that God will go and he'll take out his enemies. But no. David points out that the voice of God's enemies are silenced by the cry of a baby. The voice of God's enemies here is silenced by the cry of a baby. This is not a picture of war. Rather, it's the glory of God's creation. The glory revealed in in the face of a little baby. In the cry of a little baby. David's saying that life itself, when you look in the mirror and you see your reflection, it's, it's a reflection of the glory of God because God created you. And the cry of a baby, something that seems so weak and so feeble, David's saying that cry is so glorious, it silences the voice of God's enemy. He doesn't need an army. And that should fill us with wonder. Paul picks up on these ideas in Romans chapter 1. This whole idea of creation speaking to the glory of God where he writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them. This is all of humanity. Because God has shown it to them. He's shown his glory to all these people. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. Creation speaks to the glory of God and that should fill us with wonder. God's greatness and glory is established. It cannot be overcome. And these realities lead David to his knees. 
And here we get our question. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, when I see all of your glory, God, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? Friends, I I believe first we're filled with wonder as we consider who God is. But secondly, we need to be filled with wonder when we consider who we are. We need to be filled with wonder as we consider who we are. From this posture of the wonder of God, we, we may expect David's question to be answered with, What is man? Well, he's insignificant. What is man? Ah, he's just dust. What is man? He's unworthy. He's meaningless. And perhaps David is asking this question when he reflects on the ways in which humanity is pushed against God. Because we have God who's so great and glorious, He creates humankind, and then we watch in the story of the Bible, we look around our world, we just see people rejecting God, pushing Him away, telling God that they, have, they want nothing to do with Him. So David, in his reflection, maybe he's like, God, humanity, we don't even want anything to do with you. Why are you even mindful of us? It's a good question. But David is, however, filled with wonder as he considers who this great, glorious, majestic God, the great I Am, David reflects on who this God has created us to be. And it fills him with wonder. When David reflects on who this great God has made us to be, it fills him with wonder. Because David reflects, he says, Yet, yet, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. David reflects on this this truth that you and I, humanity, is deeply loved by God. Deeply loved and created by God. He's made us a little lower than the heavenly beings. It's to say that we are unique. God didn't make us like an animal that that roams the earth. Nor did he make us like a heavenly angel or a a cherubim or seraphim. No, he he made us uniquely In in the landscape of his creation. He made humanity. We are deeply loved. We are intricately known. By God. Norb talked about this last week, some reflections from Psalm 139. Friends, you and I are deeply loved by this great and glorious, majestic God. And that should fill us with wonder. Not only that, but but we are extremely valuable to Him. We are valued to God. David goes on. That we have been crowned with glory and honor. And when we think about this, man, as we continue reading the Bible, get into the New Testament, we see that God did not spare His only Son for us. The truth that we celebrate at Christmas and Easter, that, that God has sent His Son to die for humanity so that humanity can be brought back into relationship with Him. Why would God do that? Because He loves us? Because He values us? If we've given our lives to Him, if we've professed that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that 
and that we desire Him to be Lord of our lives, if we've done that, that we become God's children, extremely valued by God. He looks at us, He calls us His sons and His daughters. Not only are we deeply loved, extremely valued, but we're also entrusted by God with power and authority. David goes on, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Not only are we loved and valued, but God has looked at humanity and said, I'm going to actually trust you with something. I'm going to give you some responsibility. So all that we have, friends, it, it comes from God whether you're a Christian or not. The time that we have on this earth is a gift from God. The abilities that we have, each one of us uniquely, our talents, our, our trades, our crafts, the things that we spend our weeks doing, our ability to do that is a gift from God. The resources that we have to be able to do these things is a gift from God. Each one of us, he's placed in specific opportunities, a specific situation. We operate in this world with authority that's come and been given to us by God, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not. The authority that people exercise is from God. Again, as David reflects on who this great, majestic, amazing God is, And then starts to reflect on who we are as people, our identity. This fact that God's entrusted us with something. We're filled with wonder. So do you see how important these perspectives are? A proper view of God. But also a proper view of humanity. These are incredibly, incredibly important perspectives to maintain. Friends, I want to suggest to us this morning that lost wonder can lead to pride and separation from God. Lost wonder can lead to pride and separation from God. When we take all that God has given us, His love, His value for us, the times, the talents, the treasures that He's given us, then choose to live apart from Him. We begin to dull our senses to the glory and the majesty of God. This is the story of the Bible. As we watch humanity take what God has given them. All that God's entrusted to them. But instead of saying, hey God, thank you for these things. And I I recognize that you are great and glorious and high above. And and so Lord, I want to use these things in partnership with you. I want to use these things that you've given me alongside of you. I want to participate in what you're doing in the world. Instead of saying that, the story of the Bible is of humanity taking what God has given them and saying, this is really nice. I'm going to do with this what I want to do with this. And they have no consideration for God. And friends, is this not the story of our culture Is this not the story of our culture? We live in a world where 
we're told over and over again to do all that we can do, to work harder and harder and harder to somehow maintain and, and achieve this dream of the good life, which is this unobtainable perfection thing that culture tries to make us think we can actually have. And they tell us to go after this thing without any consideration of God. And in addition to that, they, they say, do you know what? God doesn't even exist. Or if he does, well, that's good enough for you, not for me. And So there's not even an encouragement to consider God. There's not even an encouragement to consider how or why this creator has even made us or placed us on, on this earth. There's no consideration for the fact that God might actually know what's best for us. The result is a life lived in our own strength, for our own glory. A life of striving. A life of missing out on our created purpose. I had the opportunity to do some work actually out at Camp Caroline recently. And I was, I was chopping wood. And uh, I used to be in the trades and my hands have gotten really soft. And so I thought that I would um, chop wood with an axe. And so they set me up in a spot at the camp. And there was this massive pile of wood for me to cut. And the guy who set me up said, Oh, and by the way, the wood splitter's right there. If you get tired of swinging an axe. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to use the wood splitter. And so I, I get to work. And sure enough... It's been a while since I've been working in hard labor and my hands are soft and my back was starting to get sore and, and I don't know if it was an hour and a half or five minutes, but um, after feeling really tired, I look over at this wood splitter and I walk over to it and I fire it up and it, you know, it gets going and I take a log, I put it in and it's funny, you know, like an axe is this, this big thing you're swinging and on the wood splitter, it's this little lever. It's like, you know, eight inches long. And you just push the dial and it just pushes the log into the blades and boom, four pieces. It just cuts it in four pieces like that. And so I finished the pile of wood with the, with the log splitter. But friends, this speaks to a deeper reality in me. The logs of my life. It's like I look at them and I, I have my work, I have my marriage, I have the problems I'm facing, I have those health issues, I have the busyness, the stress, the kids, all these things. And I look at that pile of logs and I pick up my axe and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I start going to town and I'm cutting wood and I'm getting tired and there's no consideration that there's something sitting there that wants to, to do this work with me. There's no consideration for the fact that there's something there that is going to help me do this better. And so I keep working against this pile of logs. And sweat's pouring down my face. And this log splitter's just sitting there. But friends, we do this with God all of the time. We look at our lives and we start going after the issues we're facing. We start running at things and... We lose perspective of who God is. We lose perspective of, of who the Bible teaches us that God is. We lose perspective of a God who's sitting on the throne. A God who has the power to bring healing to our lives. A God who wants to provide for us everything that we need. A God who wants to meet us in the midst of our anxieties and our depressions. We lose sight of that and we just want to work at it with our own strength. 
All the while, God is staying there saying, I love you. I value you. I want to work with you through all of this. Just just come to me. The invitation of this psalm is for us to exercise the authority that's given to us by God in the context of His glory and His majesty. The invitation in this psalm is to exercise the authority and power given to us by God in the context of His glory and His majesty. David allows the glory and majesty of God to humble him to such an extent that he's left with this question, who am I that you're even mindful of me? And from that place, David's able to properly reflect on who he is. And when we look at the life of David, we see the life of a man who who did life with God. You know, I'm sure there's times he's swinging the axe, but man, he's getting the job done with God. With a deep consideration for God. David did not lose his sense of wonder. This question leads us to see that as we navigate all that God has given us, we must do so in partnership with God, not apart from Him. And I believe that the the structure of this psalm speaks to this truth. So we have the beginning of the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name. The greatness of God... And then it talks about man, and then it ends off. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. It's this reality that we we should never consider our lives outside of the context of the greatness and glory and wonder of God. It orients us. It gives us perspective. So friends, we need to maintain a perspective of this glorious, majestic God. We need to do so in such a way that it leads us to this place of desiring to do life alongside of Him, not apart from Him. So how do we cultivate this posture? How do we cultivate this posture? Well, I think what this psalm is getting at and what I'm trying to communicate to us this morning is that we need to cultivate a posture of wonder. Cultivate a posture of wonder. Uh, if you listen to the news, uh, one of the feel-good stories that came out in the last two weeks uh, was coming out of an, an orchestra that was performing in Boston. And uh, I've never been to a symphony or an orchestra, and, um, but my understanding is that it, this isn't a place where you, you necessarily clap between each song. It, the expectation is that you're very quiet out of respect for, for the, the band that's performing. They're not, well, I shouldn't call them a band. The orchestra that's performing. But what happened recently was there's a young boy sitting in the audience in Boston at the Handel and Hayden Society Orchestra. And they had just finished a rendition of Mozart's Masonic Funeral at the Boston Symphony Hall. And as the music finished up, you could hear in the crowd this little boy. He went, wow. Completely out of place. Not necessarily what he was supposed to do. But it's been amazing to watch the news pick this up. Because they're like, man, this kid got it. He got it. He understood it. And he he couldn't contain this sense of, wow. Similarly, friends, 
we need to cultivate this posture of wonder. That when we see a sunrise, when we go for a walk and, and look at creation around us, when we spend time with children in our lives or your grandkids or your own children, that you take time to sit back and say, wow. The greatest enemy to us cultivating a posture of wonder is busyness. And man, we're busy people, are we not? There's so much to do, so much going on. It's so difficult now for us to go outside and look up. To go outside and look at the stars and say, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For us to do this, we have to slow down. Second, which goes hand in hand with this, is is having a discipline of silence, solitude, and reflection. A discipline of silence, solitude, and reflection. Friends, if we don't get alone with God, we're going to lose our wonder. If we don't get alone with God, come to Him in, in honest prayer, come to Him and, and maybe we, you journal and process things going on in your life. If we don't spend that time with God, we're going to lose our perspective. We're going to lose our wonder. Again, what's the big enemy to this? It's probably busyness. But friends, it's so worth it. Taking that time, whether it's 5, 10, 15 minutes in the morning, or a bit of time before you go to bed. And in that place of silence and solitude, reflection, it's, it's opening up your hands to God and saying, Lord, this, these are the realities in my life. Will you help me navigate this? Thirdly, I think we can cultivate this posture by making thanksgiving and worship a daily practice. Make thanksgiving and worship a daily practice. The easiest time to do this is, you know, sitting around the table, whether it's with your spouse or your family. Instead of just praying for a meal, ask the kids, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for in your life? And instead of praying Johnny Appleseed or whatever... Um, thank God for those things specifically. Take time as a family to say, God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for the friends in my life. Lord, thank you for my job. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given me. And worship music. Man, I, I love worship. You guys see me lead worship um, quite a bit and You'd be, probably be surprised to know that I don't listen to a lot of music. And uh, a few weeks back, I was feeling, I don't know what was going on. There was, I was in a weird place and struggling through some things. And um, this artist popped up, one of those random things, I don't know, somewhere on the internet. And uh, so I follow this link and I start listening to this, this singer-songwriter. And man, she just started ministering to me in such a powerful, powerful way. And I haven't been able to turn this, this music off. I've been listening to it quite a bit in the last three weeks. Because it brings me to a place of worship. It brings me to a place of, of orientation. For some of us, we need to intentionally take the time to, to worship. For some of you, that might mean pulling out a hymn book and, and just reading the lyrics or singing it aloud to yourself. For others, it's, it's turning on that music in the car or with the family. 
music that orients us in the way that these psalms were written to do. To orient people, to point them back to God. But friends, I believe that if we cultivate a posture of wonder, have a discipline of silence, solitude, and reflection, and make thanksgiving and worship a daily practice, we're headed in the right direction to not lose our sense of wonder. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come to the platform. Just in conclusion here, you know, God is so good. And He has given us so much. And I know that sometimes in our lives, we might struggle to feel the reality that God is good. But that doesn't change the fact, the truth that, that He is good. So friends, let us not fall into the trap of losing our perspective of who He is and who we are in light of who He is. I hope that we can maintain a sense of wonder. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You. And Lord, we join with David and and proclaim, Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is Your name. How majestic is is your name, Lord, in this church with all that you've given us, all that you've provided for us. The story of TCC, Lord, is just covered with the greatness of God, the glory of God. Lord, how majestic is your name in our families. We think of the, the way that you've ministered to our families, the blessings that you've given to us. We praise you for them. Lord, how majestic is your name, even in the midst of difficulty. Lord, we thank you that when we go through trials and hardships, that you still sit on that throne, that your name is still majestic, that your glory is still revealed in creation. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to those realities, even today, Lord, this weekend. And Father, I pray for each one here that you would lead us to a place where we can quiet our souls and think upon who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us not to lose our sense of wonder. It's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.